This is The Guardian. Today, could Chile vote in the world's most progressive new constitution? When Chile's current constitution was written, the country was ruled by a brutal military dictatorship. It pursued some of the world's most extreme right-wing economic policies, making it one of the richest countries in South America, but also among its most unequal. Now, protests continued overnight in Chile, the latest phase of a movement that began over a hike in subway fares and has since grown to encompass broader frustrations over inequality. Chile, which is home to 19 million people, is overwhelmingly diverse. Seen on the map, it looks like a long, thin ribbon. Running down the west coast of the continent at 4,000 miles long, its current constitution, which enshrines free market fundamentalism, was overwhelmingly rejected by Chileans two years ago, kickstarting a process to replace it with a new one, fit for the 21st century. Well, Chileans are going to the polls to vote on one of the most progressive constitutional proposals ever drafted. Uh, the eyes of the world are on Chile as it looks to make higher education free, recognising its indigenous peoples for the first time ever, uh, make gender parity a constitutional guarantee, and to mitigate the effects of uh, climate change. The country is now poised to approve or reject a radically different future. From The Guardian, I'm Noshin Iqbal. Today in Focus, a progressive new constitution. But will Chileans vote for it? John Bartlett, you're a reporter based in Santiago. Now, we're talking about the possibility of a new progressive constitution for Chile. But to understand how Chile got here, we do need to rewind a bit. Back nearly 40 years ago, when Chile's first democratically elected government was overthrown by General Augustus Pinochet, what was the country like back then? General Augusto Pinochet was a dictator. Uh, it was an incredibly repressive regime. General Pinochet, how would you evaluate the success of the junta to date? General, how would you evaluate the success of the junta to this moment? The success complete success. It was a difficult time for many Chileans and those scars have, have never truly healed. But one of the things that he did was this kind of um, uh, this plan of extermination and, and uh, stamping out all kind of leftist thought from, from Chilean universities where, you know, hotbeds of, uh, of sort of socialist ideas. And was, he uh, set up these detention centres at, at uh, now uh, iconic places around the country. There was the, the, the caravan of death. Día como hoy, hace 41 años, inició un episodio de mucho dolor para Chile que sigue dejando huella hasta ahora, la llamada Caravana de la Muerte. A well-known incident in the in the early days of the dictatorship where a helicopter flew a group of soldiers from uh, from prison to prison, hacking apart dissidents and people who had been detained. And we still have 1,162 people here in Chile uh, whose whereabouts we don't know. And it's a legacy that Chile's never really been able to contend with. And it wasn't just that state violence. I mean, under Pinochet, Chile forged a reputation for radically right-wing economic policies as well, going further than Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan at the time. 
John, how did these ideas take hold? One of the lasting legacies of the military regime was to enshrine the neoliberal economic model, which is what Chile kind of became a laboratory for. The Chicago boys were a group of Chileans who travelled to study at the University of Chicago under Milton Freeman, who's sort of known as the, you know, the godfather of neoliberalism. So I was not an advisor to Pinochet. I was not a, uh, an advisor to the Chilean government, but I am more than willing to share in the credit for the extraordinary task, the job that our students did down there. So upon their return to Chile, Friedman's idea of the shock doctrine, uh, which was to uh, basically capitalise on, on events, in Chile's case, on the military coup. And, and the idea was to capitalise on that by, by implementing these policies within a year. And that's exactly what the Pinochet government tried to do. They implemented these, uh, these radical neoliberal policies, which kind of commodified life. The idea was to shift uh, state-run companies and the, the duties of the state into private hands. So the, the state was, uh, was made as small as possible and the private sector was left to pick up the slack. So everything from people's pension funds, healthcare, um, every aspect of their lives was privatised in Chile. And what that did was to change the uh, change the model altogether from the socialist uh, regime of Salvador Allende, and enshrine that in a new constitution. And that's we that's the model that's endured to the present day. And as part of these massive reforms, Pinochet's government draws up and passes a new constitution, codifying a lot of these values. But if Chile became a lab for hypercapitalism, what was the result? So to begin with, it was it was a success. The economy did grow. I mean, Chile did become one of the richest countries in the region in that in that period. Late, latterly, towards the end of the dictatorship, poverty rose to an incredibly high level. Extreme poverty rose as well, and inequality was the main result of the uh, of the extreme model that uh, that General Pinochet put in place. John, so there's this written document that has been looming over the country for decades. And now, as we know, the country is about to reckon with its legacy. Yes or no to a new constitution that radically rejects Pinochet's continuing influence by potentially enacting the world's most progressive constitution. What sparked that? So protest is a feature of everyday life in Chile. And moving into the 2010s and 2011, there was this huge uh, student movement which uh, paralysed the country, asking for free or uh, high quality higher education for, for all. Police dispersed thousands of students on the streets of Santiago in the first day of a national education strike. The leaders that were that were around at the time, uh, most famously Gabriel Boric, who's recently been elected president of Chile. Chile has elected the left-wing candidate Gabriel Boric as their new president. The former student activist won 55% of the vote, well ahead of his far-right rival. And these people started to uh, basically change the face of politics. And in, in a decade, they've managed to uh, turn politics on its head. It's been a, a remarkable rise. You know, Boric never even managed to finish his degree. He went straight into Congress. And over those over those two decades, the two thousands into two thousand and ten, uh, we started to see these protests on a on a on a on a wider scale. And that all came to a head uh, on the eighteenth of October, twenty nineteen, a week of um, raucous but not uncommon uh, high school student protests uh, against the rise in the rush hour metro fare, culminated in this. Uh, 
uh, this mass kind of rushing of the turnstiles in metro stations and these high school students were jumping over the turnstiles. The government of Chile has declared a state of emergency in the capital Santiago after violent protests against an increase in the price of metro tickets. Hooded demonstrators attacked underground stations, started fires and blocked traffic. The entire metro network has been shut down for the weekend. And suddenly thousands of people were out on the streets and that was what sparked this huge movement towards a new constitution. But over the next few days, demand started to appear. There was this huge cathartic release as people came out onto the streets and started to and started to raise the demands that they'd you know kind of been keeping under their hats for such a long time. Um, you know, we saw people talking about the the inadequacy of, of pensions, for example. Um, you know, people were saying that Santiago was where all decisions were made, the capital, rather than in the in the regions which were where the money was made for the country by the forestry plantations in the south, by the mines in the north. People were saying that, no, you need to let go of power. You need to share things around. And the idea was that inequality had become such and the cost of living had become such that, you know, we want a whole new charter. And at that point, people started to round on the Constitution and say that that's uh, that's what we would like to change. And so what, how, where, where did the public mood take that? On the 15th of November, which was um, you know, about a month after the protests began, the heads of the major parties, although notably not the head of the, the Communist Party, came together and they signed this, uh, this accord that's, that uh, set out a road towards, towards peace, as they saw it at the time. And the stipulation there was that Chile was going to hold a referendum on changing its constitution. Um, and when the when the plebiscite was eventually held um, in October 2020, they held this referendum and 78% of people who voted uh, agreed to draft a new constitution. It sounds like a whole new dawn, a huge moment. I mean, 78% of people voting for a new constitution. What was the mood like at the time? Did it feel hopeful? That night, I've, I've never seen anything like it. Um, I was out in the, in the square that had become the epicentre of the, of the protests. Um, and people gathered there to celebrate. You know, people were hugging, and they uh, they projected the word "reborn" on one of the one of the buildings above the square, which uh, was was incredibly poignant. I think at that point, perhaps that was that was the last time that Chile, Chile was truly united. Um, but it really did feel that the corner had been turned, and that they could uh, cast off the, the shackles of Pinochet. Once the country voted in 2020, as you said, for a new constitution to be drafted, who was tasked with the process of putting it together and how did it unfold? In May 2021, Chileans went to the polls once more. Uh, it feels like we've been doing that a lot in Chile over the last couple of years uh, to vote for the, uh, the convention, uh, the members of the convention who would write this new, this new constitution for the country. Chileans voted overwhelmingly for left-wing delegates to write the new constitution dealing a bitter blow to the governing conservative coalition that had bet on obtaining enough seats in the upcoming convention to block radical changes. The election was swept by leftists and independents in most cases. Uh, and the important thing there was that uh, the left, or the kind of the, the bloc that kind of became the left and the centre-left in the convention, made up more than two-thirds of, of, uh, of the seats. And what that meant was that they were able to almost pass whatever they wanted into this new constitution, which is why it's ended up being such a progressive document. And at the end of all of that, a new constitution is finalised and presented to the Chilean president on the 4th of July. And this weekend, 
is going to be put to the Chilean people in a referendum to approve or reject it. What does it propose? It's an incredibly progressive document. It's a very 21st century constitution. So I think for the first time anywhere in the world, there's gender parity enshrined. It also makes the uh, the state, the government, responsible for mitigating and adapting uh, to the effects of climate change, which of course is a very 21st century issue that we're all, we're all facing at the moment. Uh, it recognises Chile's indigenous populations for the first time ever in the country's history. Uh, Chile has 10 indigenous uh, or official indigenous populations, which aren't even mentioned in the in the current uh, constitution. Uh, and there are also some innovative clauses as well. There's the, the right to leisure time is included. The rights of nature and animals uh, are included. And in general, it's, a, it's an ecological, feminist, progressive document. So ecologically minded, inclusive, feminist, progressive, it, it does sound amazing. Is it a world first? In many ways, it is. The gender parity uh, norms are, are a world first. This, this constitution does uh, does talk about climate change. One of the first things the convention did when they when they sat actually was to issue a statement saying that the whole process would be take would be undertaken in the context of a climate emergency. So it's been present from the very beginning. While the work of the convention was going on, a new socialist president was voted in, one of the world's youngest leaders, and by all accounts, a tattooed Taylor Swift fan. John, what does Gabriel Boric's rise mean and what has his role been in the campaign for this new constitution? His role in the constitutional process has been a difficult one in that he's the president. This is an independent, autonomous uh, process. Um, there's no doubt that uh, that the, the new constitution would help him implement his agenda, but it's difficult for him to be able to say that, to be able to go out there and, uh, and, and say, you know, conclusively that he's in favour of it. Um, although I think that, you know, most people would... We agree that this is uh, this was this would go a long way towards helping him achieve his agenda. So he's tried to stay out of it as much as possible. He's opened uh, himself up to uh, to dialogue and to a new constitutional process should this uh, should this one be rejected. John, you've been following both the reject and the approve campaign since the referendum was announced. What has the political atmosphere been like? So I think there have been there have been two or three key battlegrounds. The first is social media. Um, there's a huge amount of misinformation flying around. One of the problems here is that uh, constitutions broadly define uh, the rules by which a nation state or a political body can function. They don't often say much about the details, and that leads them open to interpretation, to exaggeration. Uh, There was one uh, famous incident where uh, a a sitting senator said that um, the new constitution would allow abortion to be carried out up to the ninth month of a pregnancy term. He was able to say that because the constitution itself doesn't say it leaves it up to the law. It doesn't say exactly how many months of a pregnancy term will be allowed um, before an abortion takes place. And obviously, it's a very emotive subject. So he was able to to, to put that uh, out on the table. People heard that before the fact checkers could come in. People heard that and were able to, um, you know, almost form an opinion as to what this constitution uh, was all about. And if it said that about abortion, then of course they were going to be they weren't going to be in favour of the uh, of the whole document. Uh, another of the battlegrounds, obviously, on the street, the Sunday before Chileans go to the polls to vote in this plebiscite, um, there was an ugly confrontation here in Santiago. 
Santiago between um, between cyclists who were in favour of the new constitution and people who'd come up from the countryside on horse and carts who were very much against it. And that ended with um, some some really um, ugly scenes where a, a horse and cart ploughed into a group of cyclists uh, uh, cycling through the centre of the city. So there's been kind of physical violence as well. Um, it's it's all it's all very difficult and i feel i feel that this um you know kind of dividing the country in two is something that's you know it's it's not come about now but it's also not going to go away just because one of the two options wins because i think we're going to end up with about half of the country deeply dissatisfied with the result and, and how else are the accept and reject campaigns trying to get their message out what do their campaigns look like so there's an old adage in chile i don't know if it's voiced very often that the writer not very good at getting out onto the street and protesting and marching and, and making their voice heard, but they are very good at getting their, their vote out. Recently, I've been to uh, reject events where, you know, kind of slightly more sedate kind of flag waving uh, events where people want to make their presence shown at metro stations in the morning when people are on their daily commute, for example. Uh, on the approved side, it's it's far more um, <laughs> sort of mass events in many, in many cases. One of the rallies I went to recently was at the National Stadium in Santiago, which was uh, a torture and detention centre during the dictatorship. It's an incredibly, um, incredibly emotive place for, for many people. You had all these people on stage making speeches about human rights, um, the stadium in the background. And, you know, there have been kind of roads closed and stages set up for um, for artists to perform. Uh, there have been a huge number of, um, you know, kind of musical events and things. John, where else has your reporting taken you and who have you met on the campaign trail? One of the things that's been really interesting in terms of being able to see uh, how people react to the to information about the new constitution, the door-to-door campaigns. Uh, one of those I've, I did recently with Giovanna Roa. Hola, Gina, ¿cómo está? Oiga, disculpe que la moleste. Estamos entregando información sobre la nueva constitución. Giovanna was a uh, convention member. She's from Santiago. She's a staunch feminist and, and uh, concerned about the the about climate change and how it's affecting Chilean. She described to me what it felt like for the first time to sit down in the Constitutional Convention on the first day that it that it sat there. Fue surreal. O sea, yo creo que las primeras semanas eran absolutamente surreales. And it made her really reflect because she said that she, you know, maybe she didn't know Chile quite as well as she thought she did, and it's and all of its kind of you know vast variety and and diversity um, with the indigenous communities there in their traditional dress. Um, she said that although she's a woman, she doesn't necessarily represent the kind of the diversity of Chile, and how everything felt historic. Everything felt like they were changing the course of history with every norm that made it into uh, into the plenary sessions. Every norm that kind of made it eventually into uh, into the constitution. It felt like another step was being made towards uh, a very different future. She was very keen to impress the differences between the Pinochet constitution and this proposal. And she really does think that this could be Chile's opportunity to, to close a chapter um, on the abuses and the, uh, and the, uh, the, the difficult past that Chile has had. 
Um, she's very aware that the representation that's been enshrined in this process is is a world first. She says that uh, uh, that the the feminist aspects of the of the constitution, the consideration of a of a gender perspective in in decision making, is something that uh, is obviously a, a non negotiable for her. It's something that she feels needs to be uh, involved as part of this uh, as part of this new future for Chile. And she she recognizes it's a very a very twenty first century constitution she she pointed specifically towards the rights of nature which are recognized for the first time um of indigenous peoples as well she said that you know kind of you know even as somebody who is who is kind of aware of chile's history and its and its and its origins she hadn't had much opportunity to mix with people from the indigenous peoples in chile there's a lot of social division in this country and she feels that this constitution could be a way of getting around that and actually changing uh this country for good Okay, so that's the approve campaign. John, what about the reject campaign? What are their arguments? So one of the central elements of the reject campaign uh, has been to write a constitution that unites Chile, which they say this one does not. They say that this one is very divisive. There are elements which are uh, are unacceptable, um, you know, for 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 a modern democracy that aren't going to work in practice, and so they've decided that they want to start a new constitutional process. There aren't many details as to what that would what that would be, how that would work. Um, I don't think they feel like they need to give many details at the moment uh, as to uh, as to how they would go about that process. In general, it's the right who are who are against this new constitution. There are lots of centrists who have uh, who have, have joined that uh, that camp as well, the centre left as well in some cases. So, who have you been speaking to on the reject side? I went up to one of the wealthier corners of Santiago to meet Hernán Larraín, who was a centre-right convention member. Uh, but we went to his uh, the think tank, which is linked to his party, uh, which is a sort of centre-right, more socially liberal party, which he says was modelled on uh, or inspired by David Cameron's conservative movement, which was uh, in government in the United Kingdom when he, when he studied in the UK. I was part uh, of the convention, but I was I'm a, a minority. So the text is the result of uh, the work of others, to be completely honest. In my opinion, the text is not good for Chile. These texts divide our society. And this process was designed to unite unite us. Larraín himself, he's he's very concerned about the content of the constitution. I think one of the one of the criticisms of the document as a whole is that it's been painted as something of a of a wish list. It's a very long constitution. There are a huge number of rights enshrined. He also pinpointed things in particular. He says that uh, indigenous rights or the recognition of indigenous peoples uh, goes too far, in his opinion. Plurinacionalidad was too far, and and an, an idea that divides Chile in different nations. And there is not only a political, a political problem on there, it, there is a cultural thing on, on it. So a more moderate recognition of the rights of indigenous could be very different in the text. But he's also worried about the, um, the, the sort of patriotic elements as well. Probably part of what people don't like of, of this text is that feel like Chilean values are not really there, you know? Why the Chilean flag is 
a symbol in the reject option. Mm -hmm. Why? It, it's because we feel that this, this text is not proud of the traditional values of Chile. And that's very... And there's a, there's a real battle that goes to the soul, I think, of Chile at the moment as to what Chile is as a country, uh, how it reckons with its past, how we respect traditions, can we respect traditions and move forward uh, as a more egalitarian and liberal society. Coming up, what will the result of Sunday's referendum mean for politics in Chile and the wider region? John, what has the polling revealed in the run-up to this weekend? Is there any indication which way the vote might go? Polling has consistently said that Chileans are going to reject this proposed constitution. The gap is narrowing as we get towards the vote, but the lines haven't crossed over. We're not seeing uh, the approve option has got uh, uh, the advantage. One thing I would say is that it's very, very hard to know what people are actually thinking and how this result will go, because the vote this time is compulsory. Uh, for the first vote, the uh, the entry plebiscite, where 78% of people voted in favour of drafting a new constitution, I think that was also a reflection of the moment Chile was in. It was still very much in the throes of this social movement, which 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 propelled this process. Um, voting was not compulsory that time around. Um, elections in general in Chile are characterised by abstention, by low participation. Uh, and since I think the last vote that was uh, compulsory in Chile was in 2015, so we don't really know how half of the population who are going to have to vote now, but usually don't. We don't know how these people are going to be influenced by uh, the misinformation campaigns. We don't know how these people are going to be influenced by uh, what they've read, how many of them are that interested in the process, whether they really know uh, how this constitution will affect their lives, if it will affect their lives. I think that that's the, uh, the crux of the issue here and why polling is, is very difficult to, uh, to rely on at the moment. But in such a politically divisive atmosphere, how do you think people will react to the result on Sunday? I think that if the approved campaign win, I think that there will be celebrations on Sunday night. It's, it's going to be quite turbulent, I think, as we try to implement these new, uh, all of these new kind of norms and we start this new chapter for the country. And I think that if reject wins, then the outlook is decidedly unclear. Uh, on the from the reject camp, we're hearing very little as to what the what the idea would be. You know, they say they want a new constitution. Do we go through this whole process again? But many people I've spoken to have said that if this constitution doesn't get approved, then the constitution that we have at the moment will be will have some kind of light reforms applied to it, and then we'll basically carry on in the same way. So many people are saying that really, it's it's now or never. And finally. If Chile does vote in this historic, radically progressive constitution, what impact could it have across the region and beyond? It's difficult to say how much of a precedent this could set. I think one way of looking at it is that people will look at certain ideas, such as gender parity, the idea that, that you know, gender equality should be part of, of, of statehood, should be part of people's everyday lives. People will look at that kind of thing and say, well, well why not? As people are more and more affected by climate change and, and the effects that it's having in the region, Latin America is is, um, 
is suffering and will suffer hugely the effects of climate change. People will look at Chile, uh, where the state could soon be responsible for mitigating the effects and say, well, why can't we have that as well? I don't think it's going to set off a wave of constitutional processes. I don't think that's that's ever really likely. But I think that, you know, not for the first time since Chile was a laboratory in the in the 1970s and 80s for neoliberalism. Um, you know, it seems to be a, a laboratory once more for more progressive ideas, which are perhaps befitting to, to the 21st century and the societies we live in. John, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That was John Bartlett. Do catch up with his reporting from Chile and follow the results of the referendum vote, which will be announced on Sunday at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Natalie Khatena. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers are Phil Maynard and Elizabeth Cassin. We'll be back on Monday. This is The Guardian.